Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. I am Ian, and I am joined by my big brother, Sean. As always, Sean, we have a special guest today. Uh, who's joining us today? Welcome to the podcast, writer and editor for Down Goes Brown and national NHL columnist for The Athletic, Sean McIndoe. Sean, thanks a lot, pal. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, right on. Thanks for having me. So we want to dive right in here. And, you know, Down Goes Brown has been around for over 12 years now and has become one of the most popular reads in all of hockey. And I think a large, I'm not going out on a limb here, but I think a large reason for that is your writing style. You know, it's always been different and unique. Is that something that came to you organically or was it something that you really challenged yourself to be? Uh, it, you know, it, there was an organic element to it. I, I had always been a writer. I mean, that was my thing. Even growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a sports writer. I wanted to, you know, I, I grew up in Toronto in the eighties and early nineties, which was a golden era of sports writing, like where Milt Dunnell, Jim Proudfoot, Jim Hunt, all of those guys. And, uh, you know, I would just devour those columns. And I was like, I want to be that guy. And, and I grew up and I, I, I ended up going to school for journalism and I did, you know, I worked at newspapers and stuff like that. And I realized I didn't really like that part of it. I didn't like being a reporter. I didn't like calling people and going places, and knocking on doors. I just wanted to do the writing. And, and back then that wasn't how it worked. I mean, if you wanted to be a sports columnist, you did 20 years, you know, beating around in, in minor leagues and, and whatever other beats they gave you to work your way up. And, and I didn't really have it in me to do that. So in 2008 or whenever it was, when, you know, blogging was really starting to blow up. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is this can be an outlet. Because until then, I had been like, you know, the guy in the fantasy football league who like sends the way too detailed season previews. <laughs> yeah, my, you're talking to my brother here who does draft <laughs> grades for our dynasty pool, Sean. Exactly, exactly. And you're like, this is great. But also like you got a little too much time on your hands. So, OK, <laughs> like I was that guy. And so then the, the blogs come along and I'm like, all right, I can I can put this out in the blog. And as far as the writing style, it was sort of a case where I, I was a little bit all over the map. And, and part of that was me trying things. And part of it was, you know, they talk about finding your voice. And there was some of that. But I mean, by the time I was doing this, I'd, I'd, I'd been writing in different places for, for long enough. I had a kind of a sense for what worked. And you can sort of see that if you go back to my site and look in the archives of the first few months, like sometimes I'm trying to be very serious. And sometimes I'm trying to be like the big Homer fanboy. And sometimes I'm trying to be the opposite of that. But what I did find is there was like a certain style of, of writing, like a, a, for lack of a better term, sports writing with a sense of humor was something there wasn't very much of that out there. Right. And so I just, I wrote the kind of stuff that I wished had already been out there that I'd be reading if it was there, uh, but there wasn't very much of. And, and that just seemed to be what clicked with the audience. And if it hadn't, and if the, like the, the serious stuff or the Homer stuff had been what clicked, that's probably where I would have the path I would have headed down and it, and it probably wouldn't have worked out. So I was fortunate that the audience told me the right answer uh, once I sort of gave, put the multiple choice in front of them. I have to say, I feel a little hurt that I was put on blast for, uh, for, for my, my football draft grades I do every year, but uh, it seems like everyone enjoys them. So I'm going to keep riding with it. Uh, one thing I did, one thing I did want to mention to you is, you know, you are very unique in the, in the approach that you take, not just to the writing, um, but the things that you talk about in general. What's that, what's your process in terms of deciding what you're going to write about? Because, you know, like this last project we were talking about pre-show, um, where you take every team, 31 selections, and you can only use every team once. 
with a variety of other criteria that goes along with it. Um, how did you come up with that? Is this something that you just sit down and try and think of, you know, crazy ways to entertain the, to entertain your readers? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really varies. Like the one that went up today, uh, that was one that a, a reader sent me that question, mm. basically in exactly that format. Uh, he, you know, he said, how about you do this? And I, I read that and I was like, yep, that'll work. That's, that's a column. Uh, I get a lot of ideas from readers, uh, some of which are like that. They're fully formed and ready to go. Some of which are maybe, maybe I, I look at it and I go, okay, that wouldn't work. But what if I put a bit of a twist on it? Hmm. Um, or sometimes it's like, you know, there's that, that would really take a, a really different angle, but it might, it might spark an idea. I've got a bunch of ideas that I've just kind of come up with my own, usually late at night, usually maybe after a couple of pops and, you know, you throw it right, in, in right, the right, ideas right. folder. And a lot of them, like, I'll come back and I'll look at it and I'll be like, no, that's not going to work. That's, that's stupid. But I'll leave it there. And then at some point, either I get desperate enough or I think of the little tweak that might make it work. Like at this point, I've got a pretty good sense of what works and what doesn't. Hmm. Um, and then from there, it, it just, it really depends. Like it's, it's always dependent on where I've been. Like when I was working at, at Grantland, I was either the only hockey writer or in sometimes one of two writers they had. So I had to cover everything. And, and when you're covering everything, you can't get that crazy, uh, at least all that often. Cause I mean, you, people are expecting you to write about like, who's going to win the Stanley cup, what happened in free agency, that kind right. of thing. Whereas now where I'm at the athletic, and there's dozens of amazing hockey writers on the site. I think I'm most of that stuff covered. So I'm sort of sitting oh, there going, yeah. all right, well, you know, I'm never going to be an insider. And even if I was, we got Pierre. I'm not a prospects guy, but we got all the prospects guy. I'm, right. not, uh, I'm not an analytics guy, but we got all the analytics guys. What can I do? And you know, the answer is uh, I can be the guy who, A, I, I'm the history nerd. B, I can, I can be the humor guy. And I can be the guy who just gets weird with something and uh and digs way too deep into it you know that that's the other piece of it it's one thing to see the idea and go oh that'll be fun and then you get like 20 minutes into it and you're like ah oh, this isn't possible forget it whereas my personality has always been i'm like all right i'm i got 47 hockey reference tabs open let's figure out a way to do this right. and, and make it work well you you brought up grantland and, and i wanted to to ask about that because my brother and i are massive massive fans of grantland and by extension the ringer because you know They've traditionally employed people like yourself who can do have unique writing styles can they don't have to stick to that straight reporter or analytics kind of mold that you've talked about with. And again, that doesn't mean that the people who are writing that way are doing anything wrong. It's just it, they, they've always mixed in a little bit of unique to, to a lot of the stuff that they do. And that's who we've been drawn to, you know, the Shea Serrano's of the world and guys like that who can take any number of ideas and take it a thousand different ways. So I wanted to know was was that part of the reason that you know you saw fit there you know tell us a little bit about the grantland experience yeah i mean Grant, grantland was fantastic it was it was just an awesome place to work i mean i, I saw a fit with grantland because i was unemployed and they offered me a job so uh, you know that's I'm always not gonna, a good I'm, fit that's a good yeah, fit yeah i'm not gonna pretend that i put uh you know too much thought in it beyond that but but no you're you're right i mean grantland you look at the the writers that kind of came out of that zach Lowe. Um, mm -hmm. who is a guy where I'm not even a basketball fan, but I'll oh, still read animal. his stuff. Bill Barnwell, who I think might, it might be, you know, one of the five best sports writers in the world today, not just as far as being a smart guy who knows his football, but just the, the ideas that he comes up with the way he's constantly finding new ways to approach things. He's, he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, here, here's what I'll say about Grantland. Like I know these days, especially, and, and even for the last, how, you know, ever since he got big, like it's very popular and it's, it's, you get easy clicks and easy feedback. If you take a run at Bill Simmons, right. And you know, yeah. Bill Simmons is the guy that everybody's got an opinion on everybody. You know, it, here's the thing, man. Bill Simmons was, was kind of the initial, the first ever guy that I remember reading who had a certain style where I was like, I could see myself doing that. You yeah. know, he, I remember that when he was a page two at ESPN, uh, you know, we're talking like 2005 to, to maybe even earlier than that, like that big, ugly yellow website where they would post his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to then get a chance, you know, when, when he went and built Grantland, which was not something he had to do, he could have, Bill Simmons in, in 2012 or whenever it was that this started, this guy by that point had had enough success that he could have taken big money from any sports site in the world, mailed in two columns a week and, and just been on easy street. And instead of doing that, he went to ESPN and said, I want to build something. And, and they gave him, they gave him the, the keys to the toy box to basically build whatever he wanted. And what he ended up building was, an absolutely fantastic site to work for as a writer. And, and I've always said that I feel like the secret to Grantland was you had a guy in Bill Simmons who had been a writer for ESPN, had been through ups and downs, and he basically sat down and said, okay, I'm going to build the website, A, that I would want to read as a reader, and B, that I would want to work for as a writer. And when we, you know, be, being on, as a writer on that site, the rules was, the rules basically were write, great content that you're proud of. And that was it. Don't worry about the traffic. Don't worry about you know, what the readers say. Don't worry about, you know, whether you get this sort of response or that sort of response. Don't do clickbait. Don't do any of that stuff. Write stuff that you're really happy with and proud of. And the rest of it will take care of itself. And, you know, we could, we can argue about whether the rest of it did take care of itself or not, or, or whether there, there, there could have been a different approach, but I can tell you as a writer, it was an absolute dream job. And I think Bill Simmons deserves a ton of credit for that. Uh, even if he's, you know, even if you don't like what he does now, even if you want to knock him, even if you, you know, if, it, if he's an easy target, uh, he didn't have to do any of that. He could have done one mailbag a week and, you know, right. one other column and made millions of dollars for the rest of his career. Uh, and he didn't want to do that. He went and built something really cool and, uh, and neat. And I have a career because of that. And there's, there's other guys who, who could probably say the same. So, um, yeah, Grantland was amazing. It was, it was still to this day, my favorite sports site ever, both before and after I wrote for it and, uh, full credit to Bill Simmons, man, whether you like him or not, uh, he, he, he built an awful lot of that and, uh, uh, people should thank him for it. Well, I think around that time too, he might even been on NBA countdown and I think, you know, was able to turn the the Grantland website into the Grantland basketball hour. So like he, it's not like, you know, he wasn't at almost, you know, almost the top of his game at ESPN at that time. If that's, if that's sort of what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. And you know, he, he could have done that. Yeah. He could have done that too. He could have gone to ESPN and said, I want to be on a TV guy now. Mm -hmm. And they would have had to have done it because he, he could have, you know, but instead uh, he went and built this thing and, and not a lot of, not a lot of people would have done that. And yeah, he did it with ESPN's backing, which is, sure, uh, sure. you know, it, sure, it sure. certainly, certainly put a thumb on the scale as far as the stuff we could do. And we always knew that, but yeah. um, you know, it's it, a, a lot of that site had his, you know, fingerprints on it and, and you know, in the ringer as well. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at what he's, he was the guy who saw podcasting coming 
and yep. saw that. Yep. And, you know, he wasn't the only guy uh, for sure. Uh, and I'm not saying he was the first guy, but he was you know, one of the the big ones who was like, you know what, even, even the Grantland days, he was like, we, we got to be doing this. For sure. And some people didn't listen to him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a smart guy. And, uh, you know, I say this, I owe my career to the fact that I got hired by his website. I had vir- virtually nothing personally to do with, right, with him right. when he was working there. Like I'm not, yes. I'm not sticking up for my buddy or something. I, I don't, Bill Simmons today wouldn't know me if he ran over me with his car, but it's still, you know, it, it, it always, it always kind of rubs me the wrong way when guys who, first of all, probably only got into sports writing because they read Bill Simmons and started off trying to be him suddenly decide that, you know, they're, they're a little too cool for that now. And and now they're going to rip on the guy all the time when all he's done is build some of the best and, and, you know, most uh, entertaining sites and, and content uh, places out there. Um, and <laughs> we're thankful for it. Uh, not just because, you know, we got to see more of you and your work, Sean, but, uh, and we've actually had some people come on this podcast who took a few shots at Bill. So we, we know that he's an easy target. You know, when you're sitting close to the top, it, it's easy to throw some, some darts up there. Right. And, and I'm not saying he's perfect. No, you know, I'm not. No, there's no. definitely some, is, some right? legitimate criticism you yes. could throw out there, but there are, you know, there are some people in this field too, who it, it's, it's just a little too easy. Right. Uh, you know, we, we all know sure. how the game gets played and, uh, um, you know, and, and believe me, like Bill doesn't need me backing him up. He's, right. he's, uh, he's doing pretty well for himself. So he's, uh, he's fine, but it just, uh, um, you know, I just know that, uh, he, you know, Bill Simmons didn't hire me personally. I don't think he even knew who I was when I came aboard, but the fact that this thing had been built, this site was there. That's the reason I'm doing this now as a job and not, uh, on some blog that I probably would have given up on five years ago. So we're going to get to a few current topics in the NHL here, Sean, but before I do that, I got to ask you a quick question because you know, you've written two books and been, you know, a contributor on a third and your most recent one came out in 2018, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. So a a publisher comes to you and and says, listen, Sean, you got to write another book but it has to be about only one franchise. And with the down goes Brown kind of spin that you're going to have to put on this from a comedy perspective, what franchise are you choosing to write about? I know with original six teams, there's a lot more content, but is there one that you would go, that's where I'm spending my 30 chapters? Yeah. I mean, you you would have to do the Maple Leafs. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, I say that as a Leafs fan and as, as someone who, who sort of came up as a, Leafs writer so it's it's the easy answer for me anyways but um and not to mention the fact that it's the team with the biggest fan base which exactly they, the they biggest, like buying books biggest yeah. audience to, yeah exactly <laughs> I mean I know as as somebody who is who has written books and like gone into the bookstore like hey where's my book and there's like 47 books that have a Leafs <laughs> logo on them and you're like how who are all these people that are writing books about the Leafs um yeah I mean that but yes I mean the the stories and you'd be able to You'd have lots of championships to talk about and great players and Hall of Famers and all that, but then you'd also get all of the completely ridiculous stuff. I, I think uh, they'd be an easy choice. And yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if and when I do another book uh, at some point, probably far down the line, uh, that would probably be the topic I would choose is to say, okay, let's, we, we did the sort of weird and wacky history of the NHL. Now let's pick one team to focus on and, uh, uh, I could see uh, I could see the Leafs uh, having more than enough material to have some fun with. 
Yeah, something about the ineptitude of the last 50 years would uh, would lean there to, you know, there being a lot mm-hmm. of material in that regard. I, you have to think for right now, I mean, for me, I think it's really interesting what's going on in Buffalo and to be, be a fly on that wall yep. over the past five years would just be uh, would just be remarkable. But you can't go wrong with the Leafs. Um, one thing we are going to move to is let's quickly get your thoughts on some of the current um, current storylines in the NHL. And there's been a lot that's already happened this offseason, but there's also a ton left. Um, one of the things we wanted to get your thoughts on uh, was, was Tampa Bay, currently sitting in some serious cap hell right now. Three massive RFAs are awaiting deals. Sam Kos is on the block. First things first, what's your most fun landing spot for Steven Stamkos if it gets there? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, of the, of the realistic spot, and I don't think it does get there. I think right. they, uh, um, you know, I think they, they sort of, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're covering themselves for all eventualities. I think maybe also the whole Stamco's trade thing was a way to send a message to the Tyler Johnson's of the world and be like, mm. look, dude, if, if, if Stamco's name is out there, how, what kind of hardball do you think we're going to play with you? If you tell us that you don't want to go anywhere. Right. Um, right. But yeah, boy, I, where would you put Stamkos? I'm, so, I'm so, so let's start there first. How how does Tampa do it if it's not Stamkos? You know what? I one thing that I have learned over the years is never write that a team is in an unescapable cap situation. Never write <laughs> that a contract is you know, that a bad contract is one you can't get out of. Because we constantly see teams find a way to do it. I mean, there's, there's always there are, a dumb GM somewhere, right, Sean? Yeah, or or there's a GM somewhere who's maybe not dumb and maybe is saying, hey, this would work for me. Right. And the other 29 GMs throw their hands up and go, dude, why would you let them off the hook? Well, because <laughs> I don't care about you guys. I care about my team. You know, if, right. uh, you know, if they go to someone and they're like, we'll give you Tyler Johnson for nothing and we'll take back some bad contract. You know, some team's going to be out there going, Tyler Johnson's a good player. Uh, yeah, I'll take him on. Right. Um, and uh, and then you do it, and then you know, yeah, the the Leafs in Boston and everyone else goes, oh damn, you let them off the hook. Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's that's not your problem. It's it's, it's team uh, building, right? Yeah, it is. So I mean, I I think you know, put it this way, they. I'm not saying it would be easy to move a Tyler Johnson or an Alex Kalorn or a Yanni Gord, but you will find a way to do those. Yeah, you you can if if you can find a way to move Marion Hosa's dead contract yep. if david clarkson can get traded yes twice um then uh there's there's going to be a way to 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 trade good players at, at the very least useful players uh especially ones you know they're just coming off a cup championship we know gms love those shiny mm-hmm. cup rings um so yeah i i do think they'd be able to do it but uh you know they have a it, grace period to work with here fr- from an entertainment standpoint you're right i mean them having to move stamkos would be uh would break uh, hockey twitter i think yeah. i think it would break it and as far as where we say i you know what i don't i don't even know what they're I, i'm sure it wouldn't work cap wise but send them to new york but put them put them on the rangers play them with panera and play them with yep. lafreniere uh, you know, they almost say the Rangers almost had him way back when at the very beginning of his career, it'd be kind of a full circle thing. And, um, I think he'd, uh, he'd, he'd probably do, uh, do pretty well in that market. Speaking of the Rangers as a fun destination for someone, the, the last one that we want to just get your thoughts on before we get to quick hitters is Matthew Barzal. 
because he's still sitting there without a contract. The, the Islanders have just over $9 million in cap space. They just offloaded Devin Tays for two seconds. The Colorado Avalanche keep, keep doing Avalanche things, and it's breaking my heart and breaking my brain. But we want to know, what do you see coming out of this? Because uh, my favorite spot for Barzal would be either the Rangers or the Avalanche, because the Avalanche can still make something happen there. And I got a couple ideas and seeing Barzal come into that building, you know, you think Tavares got chirps. Imagine he's playing for the Rangers. What mm-hmm. do you see coming out of this Barzal kind of saga that's going on here? Yeah. I mean, they, they'll, they'll resign him. They'll, they will find a way again, you know, again, this is the, you always, first of all, it's Lou. Uh, so, uh, you know, Lou, Lou always finds a way, uh, one way or another, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like he should be able to, but, but he does. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there are, if, if you're going to, if you need to trim salary to keep an elite level player, which I think Matthew Burzell fits into that category, um, you, you, you do it by trimming. It's like anything else in the NHL. It's the middle-class guys who get who get shaved it's it's the three four five six million dollar guys and as it goes with the islanders they've got lots of those guys so uh you know this the 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 islanders are they're tight against the cap but they're not a team like the leafs where they're super top heavy and they've got like four or five guys making all the money and you go well we can't trade those guys but so who else do we do the islanders are filled with these like five million dollar guys yes so and again you know is is anybody lining up for josh bailey right now they're probably not going to throw a ton of high level assets at you, but could you find a way to make a deal like that work? Yeah. You probably could figure out, could you, could you move a Jordan Everly? Yeah. Do you want yes, to? Yeah. No, you, you don't want to. Like those are guys that are important parts of your team. You, 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 you need to have players like that. But if it comes down to, I can have Matthew Barzell or I can have Jordan Everly. I, that's not a hard decision to make at all. So, I mean, that's the I'm way sorry, it's going to go. The, the way we'd like to see it go is for some team to offer sheet the Barzell. You know, we say this every year, this year, especially you'd think there'd be opportunity. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think too many, I mean, remember the last, last time some GM tried to target Lou with an offer sheet, Lou took their best player and then hit them with tampering charges a few years later. So uh, this, uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think he's the one guy that you want to go for. I, I, the reason why I said the avalanche was I just saw a natural fit here of like some form of a Nazem Kadri plus prospect potential to the to the Islanders put some five million dollars under the cap at that point. So you have to assume the Islanders are not going to be a cap team. They might probably have some imposed budget. And then you get Barzal in that crazy avalanche lineup just from a hockey fan perspective. I would love to see it. And I think Kadri kind of fits the, the mold of what the Islanders are. And uh, it would be I wouldn't like playing against them more every year, but uh, but that would be fun. Ian, you, you wanted to, to jump in about uh, Sean, you mentioned offer sheets. Ian, I know you wanted to jump in with something there. Yeah, I know we talk about it every year. Like, oh, is this the year? Is this the year? You'd think with um, you know, we don't have the star power of last year. Um, but I mean, I, there are still some guys out there between Sergachev, Barzell, things like that. Is this the year we see the offer sheet? And, you know, you do have some teams that are sort of looming out there. I think Detroit is very interesting. They have a boatload of cap space. However, it's a very big boat. That's how much cap space they have. Um, and they could be dangerous. Do you see anyone making a move or because if they don't, then why do we even have these offer sheets in the first place? Yeah, no, and that's, and that's the question. I mean, the, uh, do I see anyone making the move? 
they, they probably would have done it by now. I mean, we're, True. we're weeks in a free agency yeah. last year when we had the Sebastian Aho, it was like the first day of, I mean, geez, it was like the first hour of free agency when that happened. Um, I'm a little bit surprised again. And I, I've written about this. I get why we don't see offer sheets to the big star players because they will always be matched. Even if you, could make the argument that they shouldn't be matched that there are cases where you know you look and say well with this team's cap space you know they should take the draft picks these guys you got to remember these gms of nhl teams these are like alpha male you know these are like super you are not going to come in and take my player screw it like they'll burn their own house down to keep you from robbing their house right 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 right. guys right so and and the and the reality is I know people say well the compensation the, the draft picks it's too much no it's not it's not enough that's the problem like my my argument has been we should go back to the old days of player compensation where you went to arbitration each team said here's a fair trade and then the arbitrator had to pick because at least then teams might go oh you know uh, we're going to lose Matthew Barzell we're going to get something good back getting four first round picks isn't good enough for the Islanders for for a Barzell they'd never even consider that a fair trade so you're getting you're if you're starting from a position where you're going to lose the trade you're not going to make the trade and you're going to just you know you're going to alpha up and and refuse to bullet. Mm-hmm. i find to that crazy happen. though sean like if this was like the trade deadline and barzal went for four first round picks i feel like we would all throw our hands in the air and be like this is crazy mortgaging your future for this but then to your mm-hmm. point when it comes to offer sheets when they're so young and still under control it gets looked at like it's the craziest thing of all time yeah and well but it depends what team it comes from too sure. like if 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 the if the Red Wings offer sheet Barzell, the Islanders might be looking be at that high. going. Those yeah. could be top five picks. Right. I don't know. Maybe we want to think about it. Uh, whereas if it's you know if it's some team that's already at the top of the standings, you're like you know Colorado does it. You know, not that you they have the cap space, but you're you're sitting there going, yeah. oh great. So I get I get the thirtieth overall pick for the next four years. Of wonderful. So you know I, the thing that I'm surprised that you, it used to happen is. You know, it used to be you'd you'd sign an offer sheet, there was compensation, but then the two teams had a week to work out different compensation. And you could right. say, okay, we don't want four first round picks, but give me two first round picks and these two guys off your roster. And, you know, there, there was a way to work it out. But what surprised me a little bit this year is, again, like I'm not surprised you don't see offer sheets for the big names because they just don't work. Even, you know, then last year, you know, with Montreal, with that, that I don't even know what they were trying to accomplish, but when even the hurricanes are laughing at you and being like, yeah, right. we've got more than enough money like that, that's not going to work. I was surprised we didn't maybe see it for some of the more mid-range guys. Like, right. you know, the, and again, like my team's the Leafs. The Leafs were right up against the cap. If some team had come along on like a Travis Dermott type of guy and been like, we'll give you $3 million, I could see the Leafs at that point going, A, we can't afford it. You know, B, it's not good value. And C, this isn't an elite player, so we're not going to spend the next week tearing our hair out over this. You know what? You go ahead and have them, and we'll take the third-round pick or whatever it is. And, and, and you lose the you know, prospect at and that we're, point. And yeah. we're done with it. Yeah. Um, like, that's the sort of thing where I could see teams uh, teams potentially doing it. You know, again, you know, you, you look at the Lightning. Is, uh, you know, Sergachev Serge, might fall into that category of the star mm-hmm. that, uh, that you couldn't do it. Uh, you know, Sorelli, could you get – could you – peel a guy like that off with an offer sheet um you know maybe that becomes more realistic but uh even then uh, uh you, these these teams figure out a way to do it and plus that doesn't even it doesn't even factor in the whole idea of okay now you've put a target on your back and uh, you know i don't think it's 
we, we always hear about, oh, well, you know, some team's going to retaliate with an offer sheet. We've almost never seen that. I think right. the only time it ever happened was Philadelphia and Vancouver back in hmm. the day with, with Kessler got into it. Uh, other than that, it doesn't happen. But is it is it literally as simple as this? these GMs, it's an old boys club and you don't want to be on the outside. You don't get invited to go golfing when we do the GM <laughs> meetings. Right. You know, you're the guy who, when you're sitting at the table, it's awkward. And so, like I've said, I firmly believe the vast majority of GMs look at their own job security first and then what's best for their team second. And I think some of them are sitting there going, oh, I don't want to be that guy who's on the outs with everybody else in the old boys club. And so I'm not going to bother doing something that would make my team better. Uh, but that's not really my number one priority. Well, you've been very generous with your time, Sean. So let's get you out of here on this. This is our final segment. It's called quick hitters. And what that is, is basically 10 questions. We throw them to you. Yes, no answer. You can pass whatever you want. Okay. So we're going to get started here. Ian, you get started with the first hitter. You mentioned in one of your latest articles that Doug Gilmore, the Doug Gilmore trade from the Flames was one of the best trades in Leafs history. What was the worst? Uh, the worst trade in Leafs history. It's a long list. Yeah, there's a few. Well, it's a long list. It's it's not Russ Courtnell for John Cordick. That was a good trade. Uh, I've written about that, and I'm the only person who thinks that, including the GM who made it, Gord Stell. Like, he disagrees with me, but <laughs> I, I think that one's good. Um, it would be one of two. It would either be two caress for Andrew Raycroft, uh, which was disastrous, but I would say the worst was trading the first round pick for Tom Curvers in the Eric Lindros mm-hmm. draft year. Niedermeyer. Everybody, everybody looks at that and says, that's the trade that cost them Scott Niedermeyer. No, it wasn't. That's the trade that cost them Eric Lindros. Because right. the only reason they finished high enough to get Scott Niedermeyer was because they went all out adding veterans so they wouldn't finish last. They would have gone full tank, would have got picked Lindros, Lindros would have reported, and there's your franchise player for the next decade. And, and he wanted knows. to be here anyway. He would have. De- he desperately wanted to be in Toronto, mm-hmm. right? He he spent. He remember he sat out a full year, yeah, uh, with the Flyers to try to force a trade to Toronto a decade later. So it it would have you know. And now if that happens, then do they still trade for Gilmore? Do they still do whatever else? But that was that was the dumbest trade. Floyd Smith was a legendary player, uh, terrible, terrible GM who was way over his head at the time and and just got taken to the cleaners by uh, our old pal Lou incredible incredible angle on it you have to pick one player in the history of the nhl to beat zidane ochara in a fight who is it oh boy uh, i mean you know zidane ochara is 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 a monster but not a fighter you, you, well you know he's a great fighter he is a great fighter and and if he had ever decided he wanted to do more of it uh he he could have been uh you know he could have been scary but point. he's also i mean zidane ochara now is like you know, whoever the heavyweight champion in boxing is now, you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're the champ, but it, it, in, in a different era, you know, like it, it, this is, you you put Zeno Chair against a Bob Probert or even against an Eric Lindros, um, you know, I don't think, I, I wouldn't go further back than that because I think that the fighting in the 70s and 60s was so different and, and not as specialized, mm-hmm. but, you know, or, or some of the like elite one-dimensional enforcers of, of the 80s and 90s, the Gino Ojics and, uh, you know, the Joey Coaster would probably be too small to handle it. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of the bigger guys like that, uh, Tony Twist, I, I think I think Zidane Ochera would have found that would be a lot different than uh, uh, slinging around some of the guys uh, who pass for heavyweights today. So not Brian McCabe? You're not picking him? Definitely not Brian McCabe. No. Okay, just wanted to be sure. And not Vinny LeCave either. <laughs> Uh, okay. What is your all time saddest NHL fan base? Like if you're on Twitter, 
and you just, you know, maybe someone's in the comments and they're just sad. What fan base is that typically from? Yeah. You know, this is funny because anytime I answer this, fans from other fan bases get mad at me and they <laughs> insist that they are in fact the saddest. I mean, the, the Leafs are certainly <laughs> up there. Uh, it, it, we've lost a couple. I mean, the Capitals and the Blues would have had, would have, uh, had claims uh, over, until the last few years. I think the other ones that you got to look at are, are the Sabres and the Canucks. I mean, the two other than the Leafs, the longest teams without a cup. Um, lots of near misses in different ways. Lots of heartbreak in, in different ways. Sabres obviously being a mess now uh Canucks not not quite as much but I know those are the those are the two that a lot of uh you know a lot of a lot of fans would point to and say yeah we're we're the ones who are down and out the most and and I think right now at least uh if we let recency bias kick in it's it's got to be the Sabres Gary Bettman is let go they hire down goes Brown you're in okay Mm -hmm. you get to remove one thing on your first day but only one is it the salary cap or the loser point Uh, you know what? I I get rid of the loser point right away. We're fixing the standings day one. There's not even a discussion about it. Uh, the cap, uh, you know, I I think there's probably better systems than a hard cap. Uh, you know, luxury taxes and stuff like that. We we could figure it out. But I would need to sit down and understand the economics and this and that. The loser point. There is there is no excuse. There's no you know I I my my first order of business is I come in. I say okay guys. Um, the loser point that I need somebody to tell why do we have this? So who are the people in charge? Who, who are the people who let that happen? Oh, you guys. Okay. Everyone with their hand up right now, you're fired. Go home. You never show up again. Security escort them out. We don't have a loser point anymore. We're going to fix the standings. We're going three to one point system. And anybody who had anything to do with the loser point staying for 20 <laughs> years is no longer employed. Recently, you talked about Ron Francis and how when he was traded to the Leafs, it was one of those moments where, man, that dude looks really weird in that jersey. Who is the title holder of the all-time, man, that jersey looks weird on him team? Oh, man. Uh, for hockey, who? Because like, I think Joe Montana with the Chiefs, when yeah. I think of you know, but that But their one jerseys like, are and, similar. And That's Jerry why I don't Rice like, and, Yeah, Jerry, Jerry Rice is Jerry the Rice one that's Seattle. Seattle with me. Yeah. And, uh, and Oakland, too, wasn't he? Yeah, Oakland too. Yeah, he bounced. He bounced around a bit, and 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 Emmett Smith as a Cardinal mm-hmm. too. Oh yeah, 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 good one. Uh, yeah, hockey wise, I mean, I I still Gordy Howe as a Whaler is is completely bizarre, and he only had the one year <laughs> in the NHL. Now he was in the WHA, and like I didn't grow up watching Gordy Howe, but certainly if you uh, you know I'm sure if you did, that's the the obvious one that would stick out to you. It it still that's is weird one. to me to see you know Jerome McGinley and all these. Mm-hmm. uniforms that uh that he showed up in um but man who else if tays ever got moved it would be super weird well yeah. selfish, selfishly sundin in a connects jersey was freaking weird Ooh, that was yeah. weird yeah and, and yeah, like sundin's one where you know he played for two other you know he didn't just play for the one team it, but and if we're allowing that Mark Messier as a Canuck is another mm. one that just and I know Canuck fans would have my back on that they they're not any happier about that than <laughs> Uh, than than any of us are. So this might be an unfair question because of the Twitter age, but I'm going to ask it anyways. More hated hockey figure of all time, Brad Marchand or Sean Avery? Boy, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Twitter kind of not being as much a thing back in the Sean Avery days is is probably there. But I, I would say it's, it's probably Avery because, I mean, Marchand at the very least, for the most part, keeps it on the ice. You know, and 
Whereas Avery, there was also all the, you know, the off ice. He's the only guy to yes. ever get suspended. Yes. I mean, to, to, to ever get suspended from the league for misogyny. And and this was 10 years ago. I mean, imagine what, how much of a dink you had to be oh. back then to get, uh, um, you know, to get suspended for saying something stupid and, and some of his other off ice stuff. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd say, I'd say he's probably the guy, although, I mean, both of them, it's, it's a hockey thing, man. Like there's, there's people who just lean into it and they'd probably, they'd probably love it. But uh, yeah, I mean, Sean, Sean Avery, whether you liked him or you didn't, and I didn't like him, he knew what he was. He, he knew what he was there for. He leaned into the personality. This wasn't some guy running around going, I want everyone to like me. Why don't they like me? He was, he had no problem being the villain. So uh, you got to at least give him, give him that credit. I think Marshawn gets a little bit of a break because of how great of how objectively great of a hockey player he is. That's yeah. so frustrating. Cause we've all like, I mean, <laughs> he, he was a hated player, you know, for, for years. I mean, going back mm-hmm. to, to that 2011 and then like talk about the ultimate troll move to be like, I can't stand that little third liner on the Bruins. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, how about if I become a first liner who scores a hundred points a year and yep. you're like, you can't do that. You've already been in the league five years. And he's like, Oh, well, I'm going to do, do it. it. And you're just like, you bastard. All right. Guy plays with laugh. guy plays with Sid in the Olympics. And all of a sudden he gets like that special Sid fairy dust sprinkled on him. And he turns into this. I, I, I remember when he, when he like had this first 30 goal season, like 30 goals, 60 something points. And I was like, there's no way that can continue. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's not going to continue. Cause I'm zooming past that. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to be an all-star every year. It's uh, you, that's uh, you got to admit, man, that's commitment to the, to the craft of, no of trolling. Uh, what Patrick line, a trade destination gets 5,000 words from down goes Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, I mean, again, I, I feel like I'm in the same boat as you guys. I, I know my on, on on my podcast we're always doing this. I'm I'm trying to put everybody on the Avalanche. Like I really <laughs> want the Avalanche to or the Rangers. Up. I'm trying to put everyone on the Rangers or the too. Rangers. Yeah, that's that's the other team. Uh, or uh, I don't, you know, but uh, if we're gonna put him somewhere else, oh, fine, screw it, man. Let's let's put him on the Sabers too. They're uh, let's let's just oh, go love that. I go oh, I hate that. Knee. And and that's it. And we turn line changes off. And Michael Line and Hall. So yeah. Guys, and if somebody yeah. gets injured, we can we can throw Eric Stahl in there, and that's it. And we just go. <laughs> you guys are playing forty five minutes a night. And uh, Jeff Skinner never to be seen again. Yeah. Well, and probably some Saber fans would be okay with that. Couple couple more here, Sean. Then we're gonna let you go here. Uh, meanest hockey fans on Twitter. Oh boy, that I mean, everyone's got their stories of their fan bases that. Uh, uh, that they don't get along with, and it you know kind of changes over time. Meanest, I mean, I can I can tell you for me the last few years the Islander fans have been the whiniest. Uh, they're I don't know if I'd say mean, but God, I mean, God help you if you either if you mention them in a piece, but also if you don't mention them, they show up. How come you didn't talk about us? And it's like, well, because I'm talking about it says Western Conference in the title. Why would I mention <laughs> you guys? So yeah, they. But uh, I the, the the last little while i've been i've been doing better with that or i probably just blew it out of the water just now but uh um and then you know you got the old school ones you, uh, a, a a good canucks fan or a, a habs fan or even some of the leafs fans like they'll uh they'll come in and uh they, they can get pretty ugly with you too you need a team with some real angst you know real axe to grind so vancouver definitely fits the mold there yeah but um, it can't be too much because then true. like sabers fans used to be brutal too and now they're so beaten down that you're just like <laughs> sabers sad. suck and they're like yeah we do right. <laughs> uh okay 
more fun Patrick Kane trade. Kane and Taze plus a draft pick for Marner and Tavares or Patrick Kane to Colorado for Bowen Byron, a first Jonas Donskoy and Burkowski. Again, man, we gotta, we gotta throw everyone. I mean, the more fun would be the Leafs one because that would for just sure. blow up the blow up the hockey world. But I don't, uh, uh, I don't, uh, I don't quite see that happening, but uh, uh, yeah, the, the bigger, the better. Let's uh, let's really blow it up. And then again, I mean, not, not to beat the dead horse, but we, I think we all kind of assume if Patrick Kane ever gets traded, it's going to be Buffalo. Send him home, and um, he'd, he'd probably go. And uh, yeah, like I, but this is a lot of this is wishful thinking on my part because hockey's so fun when the Sabers are good, uh, and and the Leafs and Sabers, Sabers and Leafs such are a good. great rivalry. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's a great rivalry now. When even you know, even a few years ago when they both stunk, right? It was still great. To, you know, then the. the Leafs fans take over the building and then the Sabres fans try to it's it's great like I I desperately want a playoff series between those teams in the Matthews Eichel era Mm -hmm, Um, for sure and I just got to keep adding like imaginary star players to the to the Sabres roster until it happens well this is it last one here Sean you made it will you come on this podcast again uh to be determined uh we'll see we're going to shop all the offers and perfect uh yeah we're 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 not shopping but we're listening Perfect. And that's, that's all we can ask for. Well, Sean, we really appreciate it. Make sure you check out Sean McIndoo on The Athletic. Down Goes Brown, a staple in, in hockey. Make sure you're following Sean on Twitter. Check out his podcast, Puck Soup. And again, Sean, thanks a lot for coming on. Right on, guys. Thanks for having me.